Thank you for listening to Hard Truth. Today we are joined by Andrew Davis from the Hebrewsaurus Rex show. If you don't know that, I would encourage you to look it up. He's had a wide variety of current politicians that are either running for office or have run, um, and their discussions are always either entertaining or informative. And of course, you can find him on Twitter with his uh, also highly controversial opinions. Welcome. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, I'd say hot takes are my thing on Twitter for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they are. Um, I enjoy them. I don't know if everybody does, but... (laughs) Well, at least 3,000 people do. So we can say that much. Yeah. And actually, like, uh, (laughs) it's amazing. My impressions are at 1.17 million. Oh, wow. That's uh, a lot higher than your follows. Yeah, it is. Uh, And that's because there's a kind of like a principle. um, And this applies to any political movement. I actually read a really good article on it not too long ago. Basically, if you are to get any kind of political idea, uh, traction, you need to create opposition. Because if people don't oppose, uh, then a no attention is drawn to it. And so the argument can't be laid out. That's a good point. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, the same kind of thing applies to people who are successful. At least I've heard this a lot. Is if if you don't have uh, if you don't have people hating on you, um, then you you're not making it. You know, you haven't made it yet. And in order to be successful, you need somebody to be upset with how you're doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is a good way of uh, putting that. No, and it's 100% true. It's so wild, too. I wish that wasn't uh, the way it was or is, but it is the way it is. So unfortunately, you know, if you want to have anybody pay attention to what you're saying, you have to play into human nature. For sure. Because it's not always hot takes. You know, I say some controversial things, but at the same time, too, I try to put out a message of unity and trying to be optimistic for the future. Uh trying to provide real solutions to the, the, the problems that we face as a society, like practical solutions, things that are very simple, but <clears throat> most people don't even think about doing. So like voting in your local elections, paying attention to the budget of your state or your city, seeing where the money goes and, and things like that. I mean, it's uh, little things that are easy enough to do that most people don't. Yeah, and the, the more people we have that actually start doing it, it, it's a snowball effect. It actually, it does make a difference. It may not seem like it, but it, it definitely makes a difference. A while back, I was on Amazon in the middle of the night, as one does, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I was looking through Prime in the videos, and I saw a video from 1939 uh, made f- to promote the World's Fair. And they spent, it wasn't just talking about the world's fair they spent a lot of it um talking about what is a good citizen uh what it is to take pride in your community why you should take pride in your community and it really blew my mind that the movies and the kind of media because you can search across media from uh, america coming out from the 20s to the 40s some of it really awful of course like anything but uh in a lot of it they discuss these important values that we used to share as a society about what it is to be an active citizen that things like jury duty and taking 
pride in your in your local community and being as involved and giving more giving being a part of community means that you give more than you take so that it improves and these ideas used to kind of be universal in our media and now they're kind of dead and it's really tragic it is um and i think that's one of the reasons we are in the point that we're in with uh, all the movements that are taking place right now, it's like everything's coming to a head. Many years of people not wanting to contribute or be involved is, um, you know, some of them are realizing that they should have been more involved. And now it's it's a little too late in some areas and it's going to take some more intense um interaction in order to get anything done and uh i don't know at what point we lost that i guess when we got complacent with our place in society in the world is probably when we stopped uh, doing that in our own communities um and then of course the invention of being able to communicate globally at any point at the tip of your fingers it didn't help (laughs) oh man think about it well you know i'm 31 years old i'm about to turn 32 this year and a large part of my childhood, you know, I had a, I had internet in 94, which is amazing, actually, now that I think about it. But I didn't have a cell phone until 2007. And I wasn't really, I had MySpace back when that was a thing. But I didn't spend it all day, every day on the computer and, and doing all that. And going from having, think about how many people that you would just interact with without, if you didn't have the internet and you didn't have a cell phone. Yeah, it would be a very tiny circle for me at least and then the amount of people at your disposal on twitter is insane or facebook or whatever social media platform and that's not that's not good for people i don't think uh it's addictive it dehumanizes other people because i mean i've seen some pretty awful stuff said to me on twitter and like even in some of the most stressful and serious moments of my life people have not said things that are as awful as what people on Twitter say. And it's so it's just it's troubling. Um, and I'm hoping that as a species, we adapt because if we keep going down this road, we'll ne- we're never going to find unity uh, as a country, much less uh, a, a species. If yeah. we're always going at each other's throats. For sure. And um, speaking of Twitter, I saw your uh, tweet earlier today about you struggling with um with mania and with a a manic episode and i have to imagine that um having a lot of uh social interaction on social media doesn't really help whenever you're going through that oh especially no it really doesn't um and i'm bipolar it's not a secret uh and i have the type of bipolar that I'll, i'll have manic episodes and i'll have extreme uh depressive episodes and the thing about social media, especially for me, and I know some other people that I've talked to about this in private, especially when you have, like, say, a tweet that goes semi-viral or, or something, you know, maybe maybe 50 to 70,000 people see this thing, right? There's an extreme dopamine hit. Extreme oh, yeah. dopamine hit. And that can really throw you off kilter. It's just like, it's like doing any kind of mind-altering substance, whether it be alcohol or cocaine or methamphetamine or, or you know, whatever. Uh, even even marijuana, to a certain point, being bipolar, is not good for your your brain uh, because of the chemical imbalances that already exist. And so if you alter that at all, 
it's hard to find consistent patterns. It's hard to keep things on track. And mania is wonderful to experience, but it's also an extremely dangerous time. Mm -hmm. uh, you, the best way to describe it, uh, as far as like what it's like, first off, life is wonderful and beautiful, and you feel wonderful and beautiful. Like that's a, you feel that, and that's an insane. Uh, it's insane, literally. Trying to make good decisions, though, when everything is wonderful, is incredibly difficult. Because everything also sounds like a good idea. And you believe that you can do most anything. And you tend to fall for your impulses. Uh, so your your decision-making like falls off the off the face of the earth, like your abilities there. And it's incredibly difficult to grapple with. Uh, when I, I thankfully, when I first started experiencing these symptoms, uh, I was 16. I'd already finished high school. I graduated at 15. So thankfully, it didn't affect that. But over the last 15 years, going on 16 years or whatever, uh, I have slowly learned to deal with it, whether it's through medication or cognitive behavioral therapy, which basically all that is, is where you think about things before you react. So let's say that you actually, okay, I'll give you a good example of, of some insanity that I used to struggle with. So you'd be, I'd be at work and I get along with my coworkers. Great. I'm having a, an off, I'm having a bad day. I can just feel it. And I see two of my coworkers off in the distance, chuckling and having a good time. And I'm by myself over here. All of a sudden, I'm angry because I think they're laughing at me. Right? Mm, yeah. Paranoia. Yeah. And so what I would do to de uh, using cognitive behavioral therapy is I would think about why, why could they be laughing? Why are they laughing? And maybe I can come up with an answer and maybe that'll mitigate the problem. Um, maybe they said something to me instead of where, and I took it wrong. I'd have to think about what their intentions were with their words. And then I have to, no matter what, think about what my response and my reaction is going to cause. And slowly over a decade, <laughs> I have gotten much better at it. Uh, it is really effective. It also helps to be incredibly open with the people that are close to you, the people that you're going to hurt the most, um, to inform them and to own your mistakes. Don't, don't. Now, mental health problems aren't something that anybody wants. Uh, and if you suffer from them, it's truly suffering. But you still did it. And the only way that you're going to be able to maintain healthy relationships with the people that you care about is by owning your mistakes and actually trying to improve upon them as best you can. And it might be tiny little baby steps. Maybe maybe one day uh, you get mad at your partner or something because they texted you whatever and you took you got mad and they didn't and you know that they probably didn't mean anything by it, but you're you're angry. And so you just want to react and lash out. Just don't lash out. Go do something else. Find structure in your life. And it really helps. Like 
trying to treat these things, uh, even without medication, which first off, like I don't suggest it. You should talk to your psychiatrist and your doctor about that because they, they know much better than I or anybody who even suffers knows about what you, what the very basic, uh, the chemical problems in the brain, the patterns, the big, big scale picture that they can fine tune to help treat you so that you can live a productive life. It's never going to be normal. No life is ever normal, but you'll find productivity, fulfillment, and happiness, uh, by using these tools and you need to structure the shit out of it. That's something too. Uh, you have to try to go to bed at the same, same ish time. If possible, you need to avoid stimulants. You need to, uh, try to get exercise, exercise, especially for like depression, being bipolar, um, things like this is really great at minimizing th these problems. Like actually it, it changes, it alters the brain chemistry. Um, it makes you more stable. That's interesting. I've, I've never been able to have a conversation, uh, probably cause I've just never had any close friends who were dealing with that. Um, but I, I do have PTSD and, um, some of the methods that you're talking about are things that I have to apply. Um, my PTSD is directly related to, um, a sexual assault encounter that I went through when I was very, very young. And it, it's affected my ability to communicate properly in relationships. So as I got older, um, I would suddenly and out of nowhere during a seemingly good uh, part of my relationship have a bad reaction to any sexual advances from my partner. And it, it didn't matter how long we had been together. Um, yeah. So, and it, it could have been just a, uh, you know, a cheesy pickup line that anybody would use just a, as a joke or uh, even a, a romantic advance. And, and my brain would turn that into a problem. And what's weird, and I think unique in my case, and that I'm not, I'm not sure that other people um, have, is that I was fully aware that I was reacting to it because of my PTSD. And I would be completely aware that any mood swings I had or any bad feelings I were having uh, were not warranted. Um, and I would be in this weird place where it's like, I know I shouldn't be feeling this way, but I can't stop feeling this way. How do I deal with it? Um, and so coming back to being completely open and honest with your partner about what you're dealing with, if I hadn't told the partner I was with. And, and in some cases I didn't. And so it, it led to the relationship ultimately failing. Um, but if I wasn't completely honest upfront about these things, then I had no way to explain my sudden anger or uh, sadness or whatever the mood may be that came about as a result of that advancement. Um, and it's hard to explain, you know, no, I, I, I do love you or I, I want to be with you. And yes, I want to be intimate with you. It's just that in that moment, my brain turned that into something it wasn't. And it's not your fault. And it's hard for them to understand that. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, uh, it's interesting that some of the same, same things apply. You know, uh, hearing someone laughing and thinking that it's uh, about you and, and knowing that it's likely not and trying to figure that out is it's um, – 
yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of these uh, psychological issues that people may have or diagnoses, um, they're very similar uh, in the end. Well, especially if they affect, uh, you know, interpersonal behavior, beha- interpersonal relationships and our behavior. So like being aware of yourself is step one and then doing something about it is step two. And it's step one's incredibly challenging and step two is almost impossible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's so wild, actually, uh, to think about the similarities. You know, I haven't even thought about that. And I've spent years talking about this. Uh, I don't mind, like, I don't mind people knowing because I I don't care. You know, long ago, I stopped caring about what people think about me. Um, That's, that's, that's really important. Uh, That was like an epiphany I had. It was one day I was like, why am I so unhappy? These people, I don't, what does it matter whether Jim down the street likes me? I don't have to talk to Jim. I don't. So yeah. I've been happier ever since. <laughs> I think, I think anybody who has that epiphany is, <laughs> is going to be happier. Um, I don't even know when that happened to me, but I mean, I never would have thought I would be putting myself out there on a podcast like this. And uh, I know that the topic that I, I chose um, just came out of my ability to talk to anybody really about anything, but mm-hmm. Um, I'm having those moments where I'm like, oh, I wonder how mad people are going to be when they listen to this conversation. And then I have to remind myself, it's like, you know what, I I don't really care. Um, (laughs) I'm not making you pay for this, which means you could turn it off and and it will make a difference for your life. (laughs) 100%. And while at the same time, too, like, what good does it do for anybody if I'm not honest with my opinion? So maybe I've thought of something that you didn't. And maybe, maybe you thought of something that I didn't. And if we're going to try to improve, if we're going to try to live together, um, if we're going to try to build our society and our communities and our, you know, raise our children together, then it's probably really important that we have social discourse, that we learn to look into the, at the other person as a person and see that they just want the best for everybody too. And try to figure out how to get there. Um, I think we'd be a lot happier, actually. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know how to make that happen. Uh, I've talked to a lot of politicians recently. They have some big ideas. <laughs> they have they have grand ideas. Uh, every single one of them, big idea guy. Every single person and lady, because I've had I've had some ladies on my show too. Uh, nobody has a solution. And we need to find that solution. And that's why, like, looking back, people like Martin Luther King are so rare. Unifying voices, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, That people actually listen to, that are principled, that take the high road uh, and truly make progress uh, for mankind. You know, and it's amazing looking back for the past, say, even 250 years the progress that we've made globally uh, as a species, you know, 250 years ago, there were Russians still had uh, like a true peasantry. They had a serf population. And, And for people who don't know what a serf is, it's somebody who is tied to the land, literally. So if they can't leave, they can't freely move, they are property. 
to the Lord yeah. that they live under. And we had slaves and there was actual pirates and uh, like wild, wild shit. Most mm-hmm. of China live was, was in extreme poverty 250 years ago. Like the opium wars were going on. Napoleon was walking around like the amount of things and the amount of progress that we've made in such short span is incredible. And same with inventions. And I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. I swear to God. Um, <laughs> if you look at why the, the rapid advancement in technology, in social uh, reforms, and the overall improvement of well-being for mankind across the world was the simple fact that most people learn how to read. Yeah. And most people had the opportunity to get an education to better themselves and to be better equipped to have discussions with their neighbors and to reach out globally and create new markets. Um, I really believe, and I am optimistic, that the problems that we're facing now and the problems that we're going to face in the future with automation and all these, well, the fourth industrial revolution and, and what that brings, uh, will be fine so long as we continue to educate people more and more uh, and not not telling people what to think but how to think and how to interact with each other uh, so that we can actually find unity. And I think that's really the only way. We need media to shift in how it is. Yes. We need fair coverage. Um, like there was a 1984 bill that was put through Congress and Senate that Ronald Reagan struck down uh, that would have provided a fair coverage clause legally by Fox, CNN. They would have had to cover both sides of the story all the time, no matter what. I feel like that is so needed right now um, because people that are more isolated, like my mother, for instance, which um, on the episode I did with Barrington Martin, uh, the second I go into it a little bit about how my mother, you know, lives out in the middle of nowhere. She doesn't have a whole lot of interaction with anybody who, um, who has more eyes on what's really happening in the world aside from me. And so she gets her news from the news outlets on TV. And Mm -hmm. sometimes after not talking with her for a month or two, I'll get on the phone with her and these things that she's saying or bringing up, it's just like, that is not what's really going on here. And she's like, well, it was on the news, so it must be. And I have a hard time. And maybe it's just a family thing. Uh, I'm sure other people have this where I just reach a point where I'm just like, all right, I'm not going to win this argument. I don't know how to convince you otherwise. But trying to educate her on the fact that the media drives whatever agenda they want or what they're being paid to drive. And so you're never going to hear the full story until someone makes that a law that they have to follow yeah and the challenges you you meet when you talk about these things are like oh well what about the freedom of the press well it is still free they're still allowed to say whatever they just have to cover everything fairly that's it that's not such a big deal i don't think it used to be the ethical standard for in america like the article i was reading um said it was the standard for 39 years in all media outlets uh previous to that bill being passed and but the days of like Walter Cronkite 
this is the news is long dead mm-hmm. now it's ble- if it bleeds it leads uh yep. if it shocks it rocks i like that one um <laughs> you know it, it's it's all about it's never about it's not even really about facts anymore it's about opinion and emotion exactly that that's my problem with politics nowadays which i don't want to get into a deep political discussion but um it, it just seems like um everything to do with politics politicians the government anything run with it it's all opinion and emotion and it's it's just so strange to me because i get that emotion is fueled by things that are going on in your life so um you know, a new law or an outdated law or uh, a bill that's passed, it could affect your life, which in turn affects your emotions, which in turn affects who you're going to vote for. If they make a good case uh, that goes in your general direction or you agree with it, you're more likely to vote for them. But it just seems like emotion is fueling it way too much. And we need to be scaling that back a little bit and talking about the actual solutions, not getting up there on the stage and saying, this sucks. I agree with you. And the crowd cheers and then they vote for them. I want somebody who gets up there and says, this sucks and this is how we fix it. And then we need to vote for that person. Well, that's just it. Have you ever watched any old presidential uh, debates? Like, like the original TV debate with Kennedy and Nixon? You ever Not the that? debates. No, I've I've watched a lot of the speeches that were given uh, at various points, but not the actual debates. You need to watch that specific debate. Uh, in it, it is first off, it is amazing. They get plenty of time to talk. There's no like limit. They just get to say their statement and then they pass it over, and the other person says their thing, and then they pass it over. It was amazing. Um, they talk about of course, like problems and they shit on each other a little, but super, super politely. But mostly it's about solutions and what they think the solutions to the problems for Americans are, as opposed to uh, Bernie Sanders fucking shat on my presidential campaign (laughs) or something like that. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's uh, it's even the politicians are getting emotional. So they're at this point, they're not just playing on the citizens emotions to get them to vote for them. Like in the way that I described the example I gave, they're also getting up there and, and playing on the emotions of of the other candidates and getting them emotionally charged during a debate. And it's just that's not fair play, in my opinion. No, and it's not. Well, and, and, and these debates are a joke in the first place. You can't mm-hmm. really, it's like, it's the amount of time they get. It's like, it's like being able to send out one tweet to encompass a whole, to a solution, to a whole, you know, a problem that you're facing. I know it's a big problem. So it's like poverty or how do you make healthcare more accessible? Well, how are you going to, how are you going to solve that one tweet? Mm-hmm. You can't. And that's, that's exactly the kind of format that these, these debates are nowadays. Uh, it's more just like, well, reality TV, and that's really unfortunate that that's the situation. And that's why we have a reality TV president. <laughs> so funny. And it's true, too. And I think, like, you know, there's a big shift, not to get into politics too much, but the Democratic Party had a shift in the 90s about, like, what it was focused on. It started following their corporate interests a lot more than being, you know, your, your traditional, oh, we're for the the impoverished, et cetera. You know what I mean? 
mm-hmm. and the, the platforms that they still run on, but aren't necessarily true because, you know, corporate Democrats are a thing. Hillary Clinton is a good example of that. Uh, Barack Obama, good example of that. I mean, it's, it's true. Uh, and I'm not going to shit on a bunch of politicians, but they stopped giving a shit. Um, and Republicans, there's been a weird shift too since the Tea Party in which it's become more libertarian. A lot of people don't realize that. I, uh, hmm. yeah, it's super I libertarian. I never thought about that. Super libertarian. That's why, like, especially millennial Republicans, uh, like people my age and stuff, by and large, are all for the legalization of marijuana. That's not a conservative talking point. Like, no. the law and order is a conservative talking point. But deregulating markets and open and, and ending the war on drugs and prison reform, these are all new conservative talking points, but it's because so many conservatives are now libertarians since the Tea Party, because the Tea Party, I mean, the Tea Party was great in the beginning, but it got crazy towards the end. So worth mentioning. And I think we're going to see a shift um, after this election uh, again. And I'm hoping that it'll be the end of the duopoly. I'm hoping that both parties, like, honestly, I hope both parties split. So we can have maybe four or five parties. I think that'd be really phenomenal. Yeah, I am. When you've seen me talking about it online a bit as well, but for my listeners out there, a little background on myself when it comes to politics, I didn't give a shit at all until last year. 2019, I can I can definitively say is when I suddenly cared. Um, so basically, I grew up in, in a poor um, community. I grew up in a poor family. And for me, classism was a big issue. And I can say that um, one of the biggest biases that I have to live with is that people who have money piss me off most of the time. And that's something that I, as I'm actually getting more successful in the business that I'm in, I'm having to put a stop to that. I have to think about it clearly. I have to think about it differently. Not everybody who has money was was you know, they didn't inherit money. They weren't born with the silver spoon, as they say. Um, And here I am finally making a little extra money, um, more than I've ever seen in my life. And I think my parents ever did, which I'm still considered like lower middle class, if even that. Um, And I just was pissed off. For me, it was like, no, politics don't serve a purpose for people who are poor. They're not thinking about us. They're not trying to help us. And, um, it didn't help that the point in time when I started listening to the president speak, it was George Bush, um, because he made up words on on you know on live television, and um, here I am. I think you know when nine eleven happened, I was in elementary school and uh, watching him on television trying to address that, and he just sounded like an idiot to me. And I was like, well, he's running the country, I can't. As an elementary student, literally sitting there thinking he sounds like a dumbass, um, that was it for me. It was like, you know what? I don't care what they have to say. And then Obama was easier to listen to. So I listened to him speak a little bit more, but I still wasn't quite into it. Didn't really care. Um, Was of this mindset that they, you know, like we talked about at the beginning of this, um, I wasn't involved in my community. I wasn't voting. I wasn't trying to. Uh, speak out and and help other people or or the way that that snowball effect can happen with you know more and more people getting involved the better 
it is for everybody um, until Andrew Yang. And I heard him speak and I don't know what it was. I really can't pinpoint it, but it lit a fire in me and suddenly I cared. And then I was like, okay, well, what am I? Am I a Democrat or am I a Republican? I don't know. So then I had to rely on definitions, you know, and you're looking up definitions and those things are extensive. And it's like, well, this doesn't really help me figure out where I lie. So then you're doing the political political compass tests. And I find out that I'm a libertarian and I'm left-leaning. Okay, well, what does that really mean as well? <laughs> and you can really, it doesn't matter what people tell you, the further, the more deep you get into it, the more questions you have um, for who you are and where you lie as a person. So uh, for my listeners out there, that's my political background, and I'm not going to tell you that I know anything. It's just I- I'm here to learn from the people who come on, like Andrew. Um, I So don't listen to me. I want you to know where I come from. I'm, uh, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about most of the time. I just know this is what I've been told, this is what I've heard, and this is my opinion. <laughs> so I'm apparently a libertarian, and you're telling me that there's uh, more uh, millennials, which is what I am, in, in the Republican Party that are libertarians. So now it's got me wondering, okay, should I look into this a little bit further? Am I actually a Democrat? Well, and that's the thing. Like, I'm waiting for the, the the I'm waiting for the grand old party to shift. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's the continuous issue like that we've been dealing with as a generation. The boomers have not released their reins. They haven't released their hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's impossible to get to get control over it because of they have all the money, they have all the power. How do you overcome that? Uh, mm-hmm. And thankfully. You know, our time is soon, if not now. Yeah, I think now might be the time. At least I'm hoping at least if it's not the time, now is the beginning. This is the beginning. So an interesting thing to look forward to this this November. Um, it's not the presidential election. What has occurred is it's here in South Dakota. We are a no tolerance drug state, right? Uh, you can get charged with ingestion, which we're the only state that you can get charged for failing a drug test and, and get charged as if you had the drugs in your on your person. Wow. That's what ingestion is. I did is. not know that. Yeah. Well, the legalization of marijuana is on the ballot this year. The average age of our state population has dropped by something like 20 years. So now it's instead of it being like 54, it's 34. It's actually 33 and some change. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder what caused that. Well, a lot of people moved and a lot of people died. Uh, we have had a, we have had a large influx of people from California and Arizona, Chicago, people uh, f- coming here for economic opportunities. Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, for a time had the best local economy in the country during the Great Recession. Uh, the quality of life is high. The cost of living is low. Our unemployment was like freaking 2%. It was an, It's insane. Uh, I have a house for $650 a month across the street from a freaking park in a nice neighborhood with a big yard and a garage like is that a mortgage or a rent? Oh, I'm renting it because I 
I wouldn't, I don't want to live in this town forever. It's an awful town. Man, I'm a man. The cost of living, depending on where you're at, the differences just blow my mind. We have um, no state tax either. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Constitutional carry. It's like you're talking me into moving to South Dakota right now. <laughs> I love I love my state. Uh, the town I live in doesn't really meet my like what I want, but it's not a bad town. But the basic thing is, is we've attracted a lot of outside talent, a lot of outside uh, population. Um, conservatives fleeing California or, you know, looking for opportunities in just wherever they can get it. And they're coming here. Um, we have a thriving banking industry. We have a thriving uh, medical industry in, in Sioux Falls. So there's two major hospitals there, and and they both do research um, that draw a ton of people in. There's so much like banks are are centered there because of the our our tax laws, and uh, our our state is actually an an offshore. Uh, money holding place, even though it's not offshore. It's just lots of wealth is coming here, and that's why people are coming here. And it's changed the demographics of the state dramatically. Last time I saw mm -hmm. uh, on the polls, 60% of people were in favor of approving recreational marijuana in a state that six years ago tried to ban abortion, in a yeah. state that we put out an ad. Uh, that's supposed to rally against methamphetamine usage. And it, and it, and it said meth we're on it. That That's it. <laughs> they spent, they spent $1.4 million on that. Uh, oh my God. That, uh, the person who came up with that marketing plan was wow. <laughs> well, I can tell you this, uh, the mark, the advertisement firm, was not from South Dakota. It was from Minneapolis. So, <laughs> which is actually another point uh, like of contention that I have with my governor, who is a Republican lady. Um, if you're going to waste that much money, at least spend it on an, an agency in state, guys. Come on. That brings to mind another one where somebody was like rebranding their entire town and had a, a company that wasn't even from the same state do it. Um, I wish I could remember what it was but the the final result was just absolutely ridiculous um i think it was actually in my state where they did this i believe is um what i'm thinking of i'll have to do some research on that and bring that up maybe in a in a after show uh follow-up there <laughs> my state's notorious for these bad slogans and bad campaigns a few years ago we had another ad campaign uh and it was a safety campaign and it was about uh, what to do on ice when you're driving. And the slogan was, don't jerk and drive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's awful. Yeah, that's terrible. However, getting back to the point I was originally making, if if that law, if, if we pass the legalization of marijuana here in the state of South Dakota, a, a Republican stronghold, then that'll be a definite indication of what I'm saying is true. And if it comes close, it's still an indication that it's true. Uh, it would just have to be like 54% to say that I'm right. And if it's not, then I'm just dead ass wrong. And oh, oh well, 
but I think we're going to see that shift and I can't wait for it. Uh, the new ideas that are going to come out of the, out of the party, if it exists, which I agree with you, um, about most people don't know what, what they, what they, what party they should belong to based on these ideas. And these ideas are limiting. Uh, there are, they box you in. We should not have parties. It's just like identitarian politics. They're counterproductive ultimately. Uh, cause if we, you know, dividing ourselves into any amount of groups other than a single group, uh, creates an us versus them situation. And that's always going to be bad when it's hard to find unity when you've created an enemy for yourself by creating a team for yourself. So if we could get away from that, that'd be phenomenal, but I don't think that's going to happen. So talking about this realistically, it's important like to think about where these parties are going and the shifts that they're making. And I think a, a libertarian, a more libertarian leaning Republican party is going to be extremely appealing to independence and, you know, your, your traditional liberals, as opposed to where the Democrat party is going as it veers more and more left. So it's going to be a good, time. Mm -hmm. it's going to be a great time. And uh, I can't wait to see what our generation and the following generations do with our great country. Uh, we are more informed as a generation than any other generation before. And we understand the abilities of technology much more than the preceding generations as well. And I think that's going to give us the tools if we can manage to get off our asses to, to really harness a better future for mankind and that's indeed why I liked uh, Andrew Yang, because he 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 preached a a message of, and I definitely preached uh, a message of unity, and that it doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, because we all have the same goal, and we need to addressing yeah. issues coming in the future, as opposed to being just reactionary all the time. And I mean, didn't he say at one point that independent, uh, running independent was something that was more appealing to him, but in order to make real change, he felt he needed to register with the Democratic Party, yeah. um, which is, it, it's crazy to me that our system is forcing people who don't, don't exactly agree with one or the other to run as one of them just because they won't be heard if they don't. And that's... That's a whole nother problem in and of Well, itself. ballot access as an independent is incredibly challenging. If you pick a, if you choose Republican or Democrat, you're, you're on the ballot. It's a very simple process. But if you go as an independent in this very state to state, you have to jump through a ton of hoops. It's an insane amount of hoops. That's why, like, I was talking to Zoltan Istvan. He was running president mm -hmm. as a Republican. He's not a Republican. He's the founder of the transhumanist yeah. party. I mean, yes, he has some kind of conservative ideas, uh, very libertarian ideas as well. Like, but he ran as a Republican so that he could have ballot access because his previous attempts were extremely unsuccessful as he couldn't even get on the ballot in most places. And if you can't get on the ballot, how are you even going to have a campaign? How are you even going to, how are you even going to pursue the seat. How are you going to find victory if you cannot even get people to vote for you at the most basic level of being on the piece of paper? So uh, yeah. we need to 
we need to make changes across the country. And we could do that without the federal government. Um, we, we'd have to change. In fact, I think it would all have to be changed within the, our state laws. That'd be something that we could very easily uh, do if we, you know, engaged with our local community. And I think that something like that, all it really would do is, you know, start talking to people over barbecues. Everybody loves to barbecue. Nobody mm -hmm. hates the idea of having better representation in their government. I mean, somebody's got a lawyer friend, I'm sure. Write a write the 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 petition, write the law, get it get it submitted to somebody, go through the steps. Pain in the ass, but it'll be better for everybody. Yeah. Um, and that's why I've been on. I've been preaching about local politics and state level politics for like a minute now because they're so important. And they're so overlooked. Um, like all the police problems you're seeing across the country, mm -hmm. it's, not a, it's not a federal issue. Not at all. The federal government's not responsible at all for any of the police brutality. None. Zero. Yeah. It's always your local uh, city. Yeah, and it comes back to funding as well, which is a similar issue that we're seeing in, in the uh, polling locations right now mm -hmm. also. Um the areas that don't have enough funding, don't have enough staff uh, there during the, the polling times. They don't have enough um, materials. The ballots aren't printed uh, mm -hmm. properly. The numbers don't match up. And, and then you're seeing these long lines because um, it's not streamlined and it all comes back to funding. Yep. <laughs> and it, it is it is community-based. The, the government doesn't really have a whole lot of uh, involvement, so to speak, uh, in the direct community decision making for uh, for which polling locations get the most funding, it's like it's based on the the populace in that area, the number of people who live there, um, and which may not even match um, because not everybody has access to fill out um, the what's the word I'm looking for here we just did one yeah. the census um so not everybody gets the census in the mail because they may not have a mailbox you know it, it's um there's so many issues that need to be taken on and I'm, I'm really happy to see these younger generations and myself included finally paying attention mm -hmm. finally doing something about it and I think that's an, another topic that I thought about bringing up uh, a while back in our conversation, which is, I think a lot of the cancel culture and things that we're seeing happening or have been seeing for many years just is a result of the fact that we have it a lot better now than we used to. And so people don't have, you know, the big evil that we come together and fight. Uh, so people have time to pay attention to things that don't really matter at 100%. all. And, um, and seeing the police brutality finally coming to the forefront, these videos coming up, a politician that actually makes sense speaking on, on national television, um, people are like, no, these are problems we need to pay attention to. Not, you know, what my neighbor is doing or, or whatever it, the case may be that they're freaking out about at the time. Real problems are suddenly being paid attention to. And it's been needed for a long time. And I can say that, you know, whatever change I might bring about myself may not be a big one, but I've spent the majority of my life not yeah. caring. And so some of that blame is on me too. Oh, we're all, we're all culpable. We're all, all of us. Mm -hmm. um, I think, and I think even the things that we're talking about as a nation now 
so like police brutality for instance yeah we definitely we've needed uh, justice reform and reform in how police do their job and we need better protections for society for things like warrants and you know due processes and making sure that things are that justice truly is blind uh, that's nest mm-hmm. that's true we need to focus on that but when we, when we start talking about interaction rates with police and things like that there comes like a commonality shows up in pretty much every community across America uh, without race or anything having to do with it. And that's areas that suffer from the most poverty rates are the people that are always going to suffer from police brutality and abuses uh, by people with in places of authority. Oh yeah. Um, That's a topic that I haven't even breached, but the, uh, the community that I grew up in being in the South and being in the middle of nowhere and being mostly poor families that lived there, these families were doing things that were illegal to try and make, make do and pay their rent and keep the electricity on, feed their kids, you name it. And the police know that. And so they tend to target and frequent these areas where they're more likely to catch people doing something they shouldn't be doing. And in turn, the people who live there feel harassed. They feel watched. And then the ones that aren't even doing anything wrong start to be annoyed by the police presence and start to be bothered by it and feel like they have it out for them. You know, the same people might be getting pulled over the same days of the week at the same time, just coming home from work because the police are seeing them and they're seeing the opportunity and they happen to live in that area and they're like, you know, one day we'll catch them. And it causes this this big issue, which I know right now the forefront of the discussions are the black communities because that's what we're seeing come out. Those communities are the same as the one that I grew up in, although the one I grew up in was mostly white. Um, we fall under the same category. Lack of funding, lack of money, lack of jobs, lack of um, ability to make your payments on time uh, in a, a legal way of doing it. And so you're you're targeted by the police just because of that. And they have quotas, which don't get me started on that, but yeah. they have quotas that they have to meet for a number of tickets. And so where are they going to go to meet their quotas to make sure that they get their funding or their bonuses, uh, whatever the case may be? They're going to go to the places where they know they're more likely to find somebody doing something they shouldn't. And so the tension is high on 100%. both sides. And then like at the same time too, their bosses, the, the these law enforcement agencies, their bosses are politicians. Mm-hmm. How many, how often do you hear politicians saying, oh, I'm going to be tough on crime? That's pretty much every politician. Pretty much every single one. And so, mm-hmm. you know, these people that, these criminals are just poor people making poor decisions because of stressful financial situations that they're in. And then at the same time too, the media will cover whatever's the most outrageous thing. And so actual atrocities that are occurring in America um, that we should address as a society and not just like make broad assumptions are being totally ignored. And so you'll, you'll like, for instance, it's a, it's a, it's a well-known fact that I'm Jewish and that I'm very proud of my ethnic background because Judaism is the religion, but the Jewish people, so like the best way to put it is this, I am Jewish and we are the Jewish people 
and our religion is named Judaism, and it is named after us because that makes sense. Because that religion is unique to our ethnic group. Mm-hmm. And, like, it is troubling the rise in anti-Semitic attacks in America. Like, for instance, in 2014, 609 anti-Jewish hate crime incidents were reported to the FBI. By 2018, wow. the more the most recent year for which like statistics were publicly available, that number had increased nearly 40% to 835 incidents in a span of four years. And that's gone up even more recently. Uh, just in the last six months, you know, five people were stabbed during a Hanukkah celebration in Monsey, New York. Four were killed in a shooting at a New York, uh, New, uh, New Jersey, a, a New Jersey, I think it was actually Jersey City grocery store. And and what's wild about that one was that was a black supremacist hate group that went in and did that. It oh wasn't, gosh. yeah, the black Hebrew Israelites, which is, you'll Ooh, God, don't even get me started on them. But they were they were trying, they think, now that everything's been wrapped up and stuff like that, they they went into this deli, shot the people, and there was a yeshiva, which is a school next door. And they were trying to get into the yeshiva. Wow. Yeah. And and these are things that if it and I'm glad you brought it up because that was something that I did want to talk to you at some uh some point about, which is um the the crimes against your community. Um, but these are things that like, I don't know about coming back to the, the news running its own agenda. Um, I don't even know where I would get that information. And I feel like the, the amount of hate crimes that are happening, um, with any minority in the country right now, and, and depending on where you're at, you know, even white people could be the minority depending on location. Um, it's, it's like, it's not getting the coverage that it needs to. We, we need to be aware that, this runs deep and it runs in many different directions. Uh, it's not, it sounds super cliche to say, especially right now, but it's not as black and white as people think. Racism is not as black and white. And I'm using that, the term that they've always used, you know, referring to black and white TV or black and white print, you know, there's, there's color to it. There's more to it's it. not there's, night and day. Exactly. It's not night and day. There are just a million different ways that this is happening in America. And it's like up until this year, people were just delusional. No, it doesn't happen here. Oh, it definitely does. We're a melting pot of a million different cultures. And um, there's cultures that bring in inherited racism or inherited race that's inherited from their own culture against another. And so if you're in a melting pot, you're bound to see these hate crimes coming up. Well, what's really terrible is like you have types. So, like, this is a real issue, and I, many, many, many Jewish Americans can definitely, like, provide uh, a second opinion on this, and they will probably agree to a high degree. Um, Anti-Semitic attacks and anti-Semitic statements on the right are widely condemned, even by the right. But on the left, it's not done as as universally, unfortunately. Um, there has been a movement in the United States since the 90s. And actually, even as a small Jewish child, 
I remember seeing like pictures of Yasser Arafat as a hailed as a hero in my elementary school highlights thing that I would get. You you know what I'm talking about highlights. That was mm-hmm. the shit. Yeah. <laughs> and they had there has been a movement on the left, anyways, uh, f- towards about supporting Palestinian rights because they you know underdog and uh, human rights and self-determination and all these things. So you'll hear like a lot of really progressives. And I say that with quotations, um, talking about how Israel's a colonialist apartheid country and that, Oh, the settlements are legal on international law, which is not true actually. Um, and it has now become acceptable to disguise your anti-Semitism as anti-Zionism. It is perfectly acceptable to criticize uh, Israeli government policy as you would criticize Canadian government policy or Norwegian government policy. You'd you'd address the single policy and provide your opinion and maybe a solution to what is going on. But posting pictures of dead people and using these propaganda tools that have that are like widely used in authoritarian regimes to get people to to have an emotional response so that people comply uh, is not that. And conflating Israel with all Jews is racist. Um, and that has become more and more of a thing on the left. There, like for instance, the support of BDS, which is boycott divestment and sanction it's a uh, palestinian organization that is widely supported by american youths uh you'll see many progressives even in the yang gang that are heavily into bds stuff they have a saying in it uh, and they and it's from the river to the sea and they that means that all of that is palestine and no jews are are allowed to live there they they like they openly call for genocide, hmm. whether they know it or not. The leader, the founder of BDS, had said that he does not want a single Jew living in in the area. He's openly said this, and you have the likes of uh, you know Linda Lin, was is it Linda Sarsour? Is that her name? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, Freaking Ilhan Omar. It's one of the reasons why American Jews really hate her. Same shit. Uh, the Talib character. She, yesterday, she openly admitted solidarity for an actual terrorist who rammed a a checkpoint with his car, trying oh to gosh. kill soldiers. And like, the, you could watch the video, and a person flew, and then they shot him to death, and he's the victim. Hmm. Like, I I was touring universities uh, years ago. And I was at Berkeley because I'm great academically. Uh, I I had my choice between Berkeley and MIT. And I went to Berkeley and took a tour. And I wore my Israeli Defense Forces shirt. I literally got called a baby spitter. People spat. Or spitter. Killer. Sorry. Freudian slip. People spat on the floor. Like on the fucking sidewalk in front of me. Hmm. And just because of that, uh, it is awful and it is systemic in America. In New York City, they did away with bail 
there was a uh, a black lady who who committed three different hate crimes in a single day. And and where was the outrage, you know, by America? Um, with all these attacks that have happened since just last Hanukkah, everything I listed earlier was last, since since Hanukkah. There's more too, a uh, ton more. People getting hit in the head with bricks, uh, people with their children getting attacked, all kinds of shit. It's awful. But only you know how many BLM guys came out for for the Jewish community in America? How many people stood up in the lead in the leadership of Black Lives Matter? No. One. Yeah, I was guessing it was small since I haven't. Um, you are literally the only person that I have seen speaking out about it. Um, it's just this, and this comes back to the broader issue when it comes to racism. Um, not, not just in America, but I would say right now, pretty prevalent in America is that it's, it's not one race's problem. And, um, here's where I am afraid to say anything about anything really, uh, without thinking somebody's going to get offended. Um, I get why people are offended by the term all lives matter, because right now we need to be paying attention to the one that's getting killed the most. Um, and I understand that not all lives are are threatened. However, right before the George Floyd video came out, Asian Americans were being beaten on subways and in the public mm -hmm. eye and on video yep. constantly because of coronavirus, because of our president calling it the Chinese virus. And so suddenly everybody who can't tell the difference between a Chinese American, a Korean American, or, you know, even, even someone from Thailand, I mean, it's, they can't tell the difference. And so they just started beating the shit out of anybody that they thought was Chinese. And that is an amazing, amazing display of racism right there. And mm -hmm. while people were getting outraged, they were nowhere near as outraged as they are right now over Black Lives Matter, over uh, the black communities being threatened. Um, the big thing with that, and I think that's fueling it, is that because we are a nation that was somewhat built with slavery ingrained in its roots, because slavery was a thing when we were building this country. It's a long-term battle that we're fighting. And so people are getting a lot more infuriated because it's a long history that we're fighting. But coming back to the melting pot thing, where was the rage when the Asian Americans were being beaten? Where was the news coverage when what you're telling me it was happening? Where, where are we at on that? And that's where I agree with all lives matter. We are a human race. We are not races. It's the human race. We are just a different color because of where we evolved on the planet. And I've said this in another episode that's coming out. And I feel like I'm going to say it to the end of time. Mm -hmm. There is nothing different between us except what we believe, our morals, our values, and where we evolved. <laughs> and that's it. And, and that's where I get super pissed off because I don't want to offend you by saying I believe every race has a fair fight in this. We all need to be created equal. We all need to be treated equal. But that means everybody. If you're going to step out 
saying black lives matter, then you need to also be saying that white, black, Asian, it doesn't matter, any religion, any religion, they all matter. And it is all racism. And... Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting, let's not divide ourselves a hundred percent. And see, that's like, like I, I brought this to light and I got, I got called a racist a lot and I, ah, that's fine. Um, I mean, I'm a Jewish guy that gets called a Nazi regularly. Okay. I mean, my, (laughs) that one's the worst. (laughs) That one's the worst. I mean, my grandparents were in the, survived the Holocaust. I, you know, my Nona would slap you straight in the face. Um, or maybe she'd throw a shoe at you. That's probably the likely. <laughs> oh, sorry. She was a shoe yeah. thrower. I swear that woman could throw it, throw it around the corner. Um, and my my uh, my grandfather on my mom's side fought uh, in World War Two. Um, yeah. And he he died shortly after he survived it barely. But he um, he fought in World War Two. And guess what? He was a Scottish American. He was a Scottish immigrant that. uh was brought here by his parents as a child and then grew up to then fight in world war II for America. Which is and it's dope. just like, yeah. And that's, we're a melting pot. I'm yeah, I'm white, but I'm also Scottish and who knows what else is mixed into me. And I feel like I want to stand up for everybody, but if you're going to fight me because I'm standing up for everybody, you're not seeing the point. <laughs> well, and that's the thing too. Like, I started talking about these issues more recently um, on Twitter and stuff. And I, like I said, I got called a racist, but my, my argument lies in the fact that if we, okay. So if we have a police problem with killing police, killing people, right. Doesn't that benefit everybody? If Mm -hmm. we don't have that problem anymore, is it, is it is it fair to say also that poverty is something that affects different groups and different varying amounts in different parts of the country? And mm-hmm. if we actually address the mechanisms behind poverty and provided rungs in the socioeconomic ladder for these people, wouldn't wouldn't that benefit everybody? Mm-hmm. And couldn't couldn't we just find the common base problems and stay away from identitarian issues? And the simple fact being like, say you live in, uh, you know, I don't know, pick a, pick a town, any town in the, in the country. And you have like a specific problem with, you know, let's say Hispanic poverty. And maybe you as a community could address that, but I don't think like federal legislation is ever going to address the needs of, of any one community across mm-hmm. in the country, because each little community while has it has commonalities with others is made up of individuals and that i believe that if we truly are going to believe in equality and if we're going to espouse these uh beliefs that you know all men are created equal that we all deserve the same rights uh that we all need to have the opportunity to advance ourselves through our merits and through our skills and pursuits in life then it is best to ignore the color of one's skin and just looks at the look at their content of their character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's that's what I'm at with it. I won't say all lives matter either because I think that's stupid. Mm-hmm. We all should. I think the whole thing's stupid, sloganing wise. 
it, it, it's oversimplified, which is what a slogan needs to do and all, but it really takes away from what kind of positivity that we could be enacting as a people. You'll notice, like, when George Floyd was murdered, everybody was like, oh, God, that was awful. Mm-hmm. Everybody, you know, from Tucker, Tucker Carlson to shoot Obama. Everybody, the Republicans, Democrats, nobody, only the racists cheered and they didn't do it publicly. Why? Because everybody knows that's fucked up. And instead of making a, a, a situation of where all of a sudden we have to divide ourselves into two or six or, you know, whatever amount of camps of what pro and against, and we're dealing with, you know, purity tests in the totality. So like, it's either you're 100% with this or you're 100% a racist. You can't, you you will not find progress in that. Yeah. And it's my my whole thing. And I've seen other people saying it. And I, I feel the same. As long as you are not ruining people's lives, killing people, uh, doing something that's just morally fucked up, then I don't care what god you believe in or what color your skin is or where you're from i will probably like you (laughs) it's like just don't don't be an asshole (laughs) that's that's the major rule in life right there don't be an asshole yeah, and I wish that could be um I wish that could be the slogan, but you know, we all have to be politically correct here. And and I, I get that not everybody thinks the way that I do or maybe we do. Um, you and I have our differences and things that we don't agree on. And everybody does. And I wish that people could get to a point where you can calmly have a discussion and hear other people out. Maybe change your mind. You never know. They may bring some things to you that you didn't know before. Um, and in the end, if you don't change your mind, fine. That's their opinion, their belief. That's where they're from or whatever the, the topic may be. And and walk away from it. You don't have to attack somebody. You don't have to cancel them. You don't have to speak down on them just because they speak differently than you. It comes back to the division. We just don't need the divide. I mean, the, the world is getting closer and closer together thanks to technology. And... We need to understand that because of that, we're going to be around people that do not agree with you, probably on a regular basis. And that's good. Yes, and it's good. And and I don't know at what point, there's there's that whole joke going around millennials or snowflakes or whatever it was that was said. I am a millennial, and I don't know if it was just the way that I was raised, but I was raised in the belief system that, you know, if it's not hurting you, then don't look at it. If it's not, leave it it alone. Yeah. Leave it alone. It's not a big deal. And these people who are just repeatedly attacking and coming after someone who doesn't agree with them, it's like, do you realize that what you're dealing with by talking to them over and over again or watching this over and over again, you would not deal with if you would just walk away from it? It's not your problem. (laughs) <laughs> How many people are radicalizing themselves by doing this on any part of the spectrum? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's that's also true. Like, you know, if you if you want to lose faith in humanity, if you want to lose faith in the hope for the future and trying to get your emotions away from 
your reactions to the problems occurring and, and looking at solutions. Watch a bunch of videos of people getting attacked or killed or or somebody being victimized and desensitize yourself like that. Mm-hmm. Hurt yourself mentally. You yeah. shouldn't do that. No. No, you know the problem exists. You're aware of it. Maybe we should start looking at the root and address the issue itself. Exactly. And I think that's not too freaking wild, but goddamn, it's it is a challenge and boy, I'm not sure how long it's going to take for us to learn that. Maybe never, but God willing, someday, some mm-hmm. fucking day. And and millennials, to be fair, like, man, we've never, as a generation, we have never really caught a break. I tell you, like, no, uh, I mean, we've been through, what is it, two, two recessions, or maybe I'm getting that wrong. I think we've been through two, or at least the tail end, depending on when you were born. Uh, I was in 88, 82 to 92. I've also seen to 96. It really depends on who, where you go. So that, yeah, there's actually, and it, you, this could be the third one if we want to count this as a recession. Yeah. It's our third recession. There was the one in 87. Uh, then there was uh 2008, which mm-hmm. is when a lot of us came of age. I came of age in 2000. Uh, well. That's a hard one because I finished yeah. high school at 15. So but whatever. I came of age around then. I also graduated early, not as early as you did, but I graduated at 17 and I went into the early entry program for the military. MEPS. Which was 2008. And so then I found myself in the military during during the uh, recession. And yeah, I think it was MEPS is what they called it. Um, but uh, it's, it's DEPS because uh, MEPS is military entrance processing. Mm. (laughs) that's correct yeah um but yeah i went into the military because somebody you know because we were in the middle of the recession i was convinced either by the recruiter or just people around me that the only way i was going to be able to afford college was the military because if you join they give you you know a military scholarship that was absolutely not the case for me I had like what, like a 3.4 or 3.5 grade average, and I definitely could have gotten some scholarships or or something, something good going for me. But I didn't realize that until it was too late. You know, (laughs) here I am in boot camp at 17 years old because I I entered early thinking it was the best plan for me. And it it wasn't. It didn't turn out well. (laughs) But, you know, who told you that a community college wasn't as good as a university? Right. I don't know, because we had a we had a technical college across the street from my high school, and it was actually mandatory that you take at least two semesters of a technical class at that college while still in high school. So when you got out of high school and I don't know if this was statewide in Tennessee or it was just the county. um, But by the time you got out of high school, you had at least a couple of credits, college credits to go into whatever you wanted to go into, which I think is a great plan you know back in that time everybody was convinced you needed a college degree in order to have a good career so making sure that your students graduate high school already having credits towards something is a great strategy so I went to one I don't know why I was convinced that I couldn't just do that (laughs) I well I think that's society saying you know community colleges are for losers community technical schools are for dumb people that you're not going to make a good living as a carpenter or an electrician or whatever. 
that that's definitely prevalent. I remember hearing that as a kid. Yeah. Uh, and when you're in poverty, just kind of going back around to like that, um, you don't really know. Like my parents didn't fucking know. I mean, I got abandoned when I was a kid, but I ended up back with my mom when I was 14. She didn't have a fucking clue. Yeah. She, my, she had uh... no clue. Both my parents were disabled and they, neither one of them actually even graduated from high school. So they definitely didn't know. And they thought, and at the time, like the thinking was, was that if you go to college, you'll escape poverty. I remember hearing that a hundred thousand times. Go to Mm -hmm. college. You'll, you'll, you'll get a good job and you'll have a good life no matter what. And in reality, that's not, that's not it. Actually, like. And the statistics show that there's really three things, three things, graduate high school or get your GED before you're 18, mm-hmm. right? So that's number one. Number two, get a full-time job. Yep. Number three, don't have a child out of wedlock. <laughs> yeah. And then when you talk about generational poverty the number one contributing factor is single parent households. Yes. And how, and this is something like, you know, I've, I've talked about this a bunch with people is that welfare and these social safety net programs are not safety nets, keeping people up, but keeping people down. Yeah. Um, we really need to reimagine these systems because it forces you to, well, and you've experienced food stamps and, and that system. So I'm sure you're well aware that, you know, you can't make, you can't better your situation. You can't make more money. Otherwise you lose your benefits and you'll lose enough benefits to where you're offset unless you're like magically go from maybe working part-time at a McDonald's or grocery store or something like that max and that you can make a couple hundred bucks to, you know, making $48,000 a year all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, and I even experienced that uh, as early as, um, or as recently as 2015, um, because I was, I I had my son uh, as a single mother. And so mm-hmm. like the moment he was born, I was, I was a single mother and I was on a salary at the time, which was, I think like 31.5 per year. Um, and I fell in this category where when I factored in all my bills, and food and childcare in order to go back to work because I had to go back to work as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't qualify for benefits. So any sort of assistance with childcare or food was out of the question because um, I was making too much, but I wasn't making enough. I knew to, to make a living. And this was in Nashville. So I have to bring up, you know, cost of living again. So it was costing me $825 per month for a one-bedroom apartment in Nashville at that time. And then I also had a car payment, and I needed a car to get to work. And then I suddenly started having to pay for childcare per week. And it's just, it's kind of a messed up system because at that point, at that salary rate, I was definitely considered lower middle class. And yet I still couldn't afford a good living off of that with a child anyway 
before a child, I was probably better off. <laughs> but and they'll and they'll tell you, well, that's your fault. You shouldn't have had a, a child as a single mother. Well, that's a whole yep. different slew of issues. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I know, like you mentioned with food stamps, with my two disabled parents, they were getting disability from the state because they couldn't work, which mm-hmm. took years to get approved. Um, and then we were getting food stamps on top of the disability. And I was an only child and we still had trouble feeding. Uh, they still had trouble feeding me because they, what people don't take into account when they're like, oh, you're living off the government. Well, the money that's coming in is the only money that's coming in. And mm-hmm. you have to pay for co-pays at doctor's visits if it's not covered. If you're on disability because you have a major disease or an issue, then you're also paying for your medication. Yeah. Um, and sometimes the only medication that insurance will cover is the gener- generic brand. And you may physically have a bad reaction to the generic. So you're forced to pay for the name brand, which is not covered by disability. And it's just, uh, those were the things I was I was exposed to as a young child. I would say when I started having to take care of my parents after school or missing school to take care of my parents, uh, I was 11. And so I started having to help them get to their doctor's appointments, helping them get into the building to see the doctors, being in the room, listening to what the doctors were saying, and then being home with my parents, one or the other, crying because they couldn't afford their medication and and didn't know how they were going to pay to stay alive, let alone feed me. Mm. And I was exposed to these things at a very young age. Um, it's, uh, It's a huge issue. And it's fucking heartbreaking, man. Like, especially you said you came up in the South. You know, down there, uh, the South has the highest level of disability rates, in especially in rural populations, uh, it being the average of 23% in the Central South. Wow, I did not know that. 23%. Um, and being disabled generally relegates you to poverty, which actual poverty is twelve thousand dollars a year so and we definitely had less than that i can yeah i can say that for sure and that's that's the thing like nobody wants to who wants to fucking live like that but when you live like that and you re, and because you're stuck in that situation because you know whatever external circumstances are going on there's no way to improve because the system that's there that's supposed to help you only harms you Mm-hmm. And it's it's really it's a it's an issue because so like I I espouse these ideas of like let's cut the social safety net let's get rid of it let's reimagine it and people are automatically like well you fucking hate the poor excuse my <laughs> language I mean I I swore earlier but like uh, we've been I don't swearing hate a lot the, I don't hate the poor I am poor <laughs> what are you talking about I love the poor uh. I want I want things to be better for everybody, but especially the poor, because they're the ones that struggle the most with the stupidest things like and it's more expensive being poor. Yeah, that, and that's wild. That's a fact. It is You spend way more money when you're poor than when you're wealthy. Yeah, because you can when you're wealthy, you can buy a better whatever it is the first time. And 
Um, like a good example would be the family car that we had uh, when I was growing up. We had to buy it used. God knows how many miles were on it. And that thing broke down constantly. And if we couldn't figure out how to fix it or salvage parts from neighbors that had old cars sitting around that may have the part, then we had to pay somebody to do it. And then the, uh, you know, the another aspect of it is people taking advantage of that. You know, people running those shops and in those communities need money, too. So they spike up the cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you were able to go to a better shop, uh, without thinking, oh, if I go to this crappy one down the street, surely it won't cost as much. And then you just take their word for it, that this is how much it costs to fix this thing when that's probably not the case. So it, it definitely, you spend more being poor than, uh, than you do if you're wealthy. But if we did address poverty, we address the, if we made, if we want to make, if so if we want to make America great again, I've always thought it was great in the first place, but if we want to make it better, we just need to do a couple things, really. A, we need to figure out, obviously, a universal basic income. Uh, we need to reimagine our social safety net system so that it actually works for people. Uh, we have to address our education system on the, on the, at the university level. Uh, as well as tech schools. So like my state, for instance, and some other states are doing the same thing, like in Texas, uh, they kind of have something going on with that too, uh, where you can get a free education at a tech school for a specific in need uh, industry. That happened in Tennessee, I think uh, a year and a half ago, actually, as well. It's statewide. It's it's a great idea. But, and then the caveat is that, uh, you have to stay and work in the state for three or what, how many ever years after you're done mm-hmm. so that you contribute back to the, the state and the community that paid for your education. I think like going a little bit further into this. So say, say we, we looked at our university budgets. Now a huge part of these budgets is sports. Yeah. Okay. Everybody loves sports. I know it's a Debbie downer that I'm going to even going to say this and I don't care. What's more important, college football or rural health care? Or just, actually, how about this? Just doctors for people mm-hmm. everywhere. So say we got rid of the NCAA. And, and they could still exist, but it would have to become like a, a semi-pro sport or something. It would have to be separate from universities, completely funded by itself as a business. And then you were able to allocate all that money back from future budgets anyways. I'm not talking about like, hey, you owe us money. But like, you know, the, now you all of a sudden you have an extra $40 million laying around for that school. Oh, my goodness. How many how many medical students could we put through for that? And then, you know, especially if it's a public school, say it's the University of South Dakota. They have a medical school. Well, how many, how many, how many doctors could we get to communities that don't have enough doctors? How many, how many, how many people could we serve and educate for the public good instead of making, instead of this graft? Cause that's kind of effectively what it is. A lot of people are making a lot of money off of public funding. Uh, maybe we could reality, we could, or like talking about like, our state uh, justice systems. Look at our prisons. So like in my state alone, I know the statistics, thankfully. Um, 
1,120 people are in the South Dakota State Penitentiary System right now for drug offenses. Mm. Uh, all of those are just drug offenses. There is no violence involved. There uh, was one case that I have taken off of my number that sold a felonious amount of narcotics to, to children. So they're, they're not in my numbers here. Uh, the average housing fee just for housing these people and feeding them every year is $19,000 and $19,500, right? It, it comes out to like 21 million something that we're spending on those people alone. That's only 34% of the prison population. Another 36% of the prison population is nonviolent crime. So identity theft, uh, bad checks, things like that. Yeah. Roughly a similar amount of money. So we take these two groups of people. Obviously, I've left violent crime and sexual assault and all these serious things, um, including like robbery and burglaries. Those are counted as violent offenses. Think about the what good to society. How does How does imprisoning all these people serve society? Does it protect them more? No, it doesn't. We could do something far more productive with these people and we could save a lot of fucking money and do something better with it. Uh, a lot of things I think need to be reimagined and we could have a better society if we just stop being fucking mad at each other all the time. Yeah. And you know, this brings up another point coming, circling back. A lot of our conversations go full circle here. Um, when I was mentioning the poor community that I grew up in and them doing illegal things to, to meet, make ends meet, um, a lot of those people end up in jail for drug offenses because they're selling drugs to try and buy food for their kids or themselves or pay rent or whatever uh, the case may be, fix their car. Um it's and I, and I know that there's other illegal things that they can do to make money, but what's the easiest, fastest way to make money? Drugs. Drugs sell themselves, <laughs> man. Exactly. You don't even have to be a good salesman to do it. You just need to have a good price and be available. Yep. And um, so Shit, the price isn't even that big of a deal. You just need to be available. Yeah, depending <laughs> on what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's uh. You know, the cops are out targeting the poor communities because they're doing illegal things to try and make ends meet. And then they get put in jail for nonviolent offenses when all they were doing was trying to put food on the table. Um, and it, it's just a giant circle that should not be there. It's um, it's happening because we're not addressing the root of the problem, like you've said a lot. And the root of the problem is that people in poverty don't have a good way to get out. And so ideas like uh, probably the idea that Andrew Yang had for UBI was was likely what started the fire under me politically, because the my immediate thought was my mother, who is still on disability and still living in the South and still trying to make ends meet and pay for her medication. And immediately what I thought was, my God, what could a thousand dollars a month do for her so right. much? And it I don't need it right now. I could use it because then I could send my kids to extracurricular activities that right now is not in my budget. Um, but that's me finding a way for for me to use it. But there are people like my mother who could immediately, that money will be gone because they immediate, they have immediate needs that could be addressed with that money. 
a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And there's just, there's so much with it. And there's, it's just, it's just such nonsense that we as a people aren't seeing this and that uh, I'm just so irritated by all of it. So irritated. <sighs> I think we all are. What's what's funny listening to you. I'm, I'm glad that you got like this because I did it in a couple of other uh, interviews that I've had where I've just gotten so just built up talking about a different topic where I just run out of words. I just don't even know what to say anymore. And um, well, I'm trying, you know, and I, I try not. I want to swear at people, <laughs> <laughs> and it's best it's best not to insult everybody uh, or or blame any particular person. Oh my gosh, um, I I had this discussion just today with my partner where it's like people are using these derogatory terms like stupid when dis- describing like Trump supporters or someone that's against Black Lives Matter or whatever. Well, that's stupid. That's just a stupid standpoint and insulting somebody isn't going to help the problem. But yeah. you get to a point where you're like, I don't even I don't know what else to say to this person anymore. And, and so the next thing that comes out of your mouth is just like, it's either that's stupid or what the fuck? <laughs> it's just, that's it. <laughs> and it's not helping. <laughs> no. What I was going to say before I got upset, because I remember now, um, and it's a, it, it, like you were saying, it comes full circle. Uh, once you're in the system, once you're arrested, you're in the system and the system wants you. Mm-hmm. And you're pulled back. And then when you get out, you're disenfranchised. Yeah. You uh, all of a sudden are discriminated against legally for work and housing. And how are you supposed to want to be a part of a society? How are you supposed to be a friendly neighbor if you're not welcomed as a, like, you can, how can you be an American if you don't get the rights? Yeah. And uh, that's a, another topic that I haven't really talked about a whole lot publicly, but I was arrested at one point. I have a, a criminal record. Honestly, you'll have to dig real deep to find it for those of you that are going to try. Um, because it's been past the, uh, the point where it's, uh, public anyway. But the thing that I noticed immediately getting out was how geared towards pulling me back into the system that everything was. I had, by the time I got out, I had no car, I had no job, I had no home, and I had to make it to a meeting uh, with an officer to get instructions of, on what my uh, probationary period was going to be the very next day after getting out. So I had to find a ride to get there. And then I get there and I find out that I had 30 days to have a job, to have a way to get back there once a month, and have my first payment made towards the state for the cost of my probationary period. And here I am. And still at that point in the South, in the rural South, um, there's not a lot of jobs open. And I have a criminal record. And they're not going to want to hire me with Mm -hmm. a criminal record. So I am desperately looking for a way to have a job on the books and a ride and uh, already have money by the time 30 days is up. 30 days is not a long time when... You were trying to find a job or trying to find housing or trying to find anything. And I absolutely got lucky with uh, the, uh, how it turned out for me. The system is very much like, okay, you get a month to get your shit together. 
Good luck. Yeah. That's it. We want our money and that's all we care about. And a lot of people don't realize that there's not a bunch of, so probation and parole, both. It's all at the discretion of the officer as well. So he can make the rules, he or she can make these rules up for you. Say, say that officer says that you need to perform 10 jumping jacks a day and videotape it and send to him, send it to him. Otherwise, he's going to violate you. You have to do it because he can just violate you arbitrarily. Yeah. Because because some of the some of the rules like I've been I've been on paper. I have a criminal record. Your boy used to be pretty uh, fucking ridiculous back in the day. Um, and. Like the rules are so arbitrary, like, for instance, you know, the couple times that I've been arrested and the, the one time I was on probation it was for aggravated assault and. I couldn't drink. I couldn't go to casinos. I couldn't have a Nerf gun. That's my favorite one that I was specifically told not to have was a Nerf gun. Uh, <laughs> I asked and they just said it's in poor taste. I couldn't associate with people. Even if I, so even so like if I met a guy who had a kind of a criminal record and I just met him and I didn't know. And the, my probation officer rolled up and he knew that guy and knew that guy had a criminal record. He'd violate, he could violate me for associating with uh, immoral types. Yeah. And I can't remember the name of what I was on. It's actually not called probation there. It was something else with it. It's uh, a lot more strict than probation. Um, So some of my rules included things like I couldn't leave the County after a certain time. Uh, I had a curfew. I had to be in my house by a certain time. Yeah. Um, I was Unless you had like had a good reason for like work or something. Yeah. And then I was specifically told that I could be sent back to jail for getting a speeding ticket. Like yeah. any, no anything. contact with police, not allowed to have contact with police at all. Yeah, nothing. And then I've uh, lived the entire time that I was on this, uh, which I still am um, com- terrified, terrified that I'm going to get pulled over for something stupid and go back to prison or jail or, you know, whatever the case may be. And here I am a mother of two young kids with a career that's, that's doing good for me. And I may just make a mistake on the road and go back to jail. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's insane. And that's something we really need to address as well. And I think that's going to take a generational shift. Um, obviously defunding the police isn't the option, isn't really the way forward, but, but doing some things are, uh, separating contact, social contact between judges and prosecutors and policemen and prosecutors and judges. Um, that that's a good step. Uh, as a, as a society making doing jury duty instead of trying to get out of it, uh, that should be admirable, Mm -hmm. uh, whole bunch of things uh, getting rid of the disenfranchisement laws uh natural rights human rights should be inalienable uh unless you're okay so if you murdered somebody like in cold fucking blood say you're a murderer or some real crazy type of criminal that did something vicious and violent and uh, is abhorrent and they went through the due process and it was above board on all things, then yeah, you know what? Then you're probably not going to be able to own a gun again. I think mm-hmm. everybody can agree on that one. Um, 
some crimes should be punished really harshly. Murder, rape, you know, it's a controversial position, but I think if you're a rapist and you're a convicted rapist, maybe you should be put to death. Yeah. And um, I just got into an argument with somebody on Twitter the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure you saw that where they were claiming that they were raped and yet they didn't believe that the punishment for rapists was fair. They were arguing the opposite. In fact, they were saying that it was too harsh, that it was only they, in their words, only lost 20 minutes of their life and the rapist lost five years or more and was put on a list and their life was ruined. And I get that some people can come out of things differently. While my initial conclusion with that person is that they're either lying about their experience or they're delusional or they have not accepted it yet. But the reality may be they might just be a little bit mentally stronger than other people and that 20 minutes really didn't fuck them up too bad and they've kind of got a point. But I didn't agree. Also, at the same time, maybe that 20 minutes doesn't matter because they've been totally able to isolate it and emotionally separate it, separate from it instead of dealing with it. Exactly. Exactly. There's a, it's a myriad of options. Denial. <laughs> but, you know, I don't say death should always be the answer for it. I think it should be an option. And I think we should reform our death penalty system to where it's only for the worst of the worst. Um, and it's not really productive to keep people in prison for 50 years and never having parole. Uh, but I also, at the same time, like, so the people don't just think I want to willy nilly execute people. Uh, I would rather see a thousand guilty men go free than one innocent man killed. I truly believe that. Uh, that's why we need more protections for the citizen than, than tools for the government to prosecute. We need more citizen accountability. We need more. Uh, we need more citizens armed and educated in firearm safety. And there's just so much. There's so much. Like at one point, America didn't have police. Do you know how most of the gangs in the Wild West were subdued? Uh, by the public, if I'm remembering the- correctly public yes Mm -hmm. so a good one is coffeeville kansas coffeeville kansas had a notorious gang come in i think it was the daltons uh or something like that i can't remember the specific one well these people knew that the gang was knocking over their bank that's their money this is before money was insured by the federal government the town got together and killed them because they were they were not having it. Uh, and, and you'll see in towns and counties across the country before police uh, organizations were founded within their cities and stuff. You, you had sheriffs and marshals and whatnot, but mostly the citizenry were accountable for their per- public safety and they took action. But at the same time, too, they weren't limiting gun regulations. They were educating. Firearms were a part of the daily life in America. People were well-informed and, and well-versed in their use and the consequences of them. Uh, there was a, So it's, a, it's not like fair to compare that to the modern standard because it doesn't, just doesn't work that way. We don't have that anymore. Um, 
Yeah, it's kind of prevalent in the South, or at least where I grew up. I don't know if it's widely still. Oh, here it is too, but not like in California or New York City. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The cities, it's like it's almost really looked down upon if you're living in an apartment in a in a complex in a city and you have a gun. It's like, why do you have a gun? Um, People immediately are bothered by it, but it's you know, I feel like I feel like everybody should be armed. But everybody should know how to use it and when to use it and what it means if you use it, you know, Um, even just shooting for fun. If you're not protected properly, you can lose your hearing for life. So (laughs) a shoot, you know, firearm accidents are are tragic and awful. And that happens all the time, too, because people are just ill-trained, ill-informed and ill-versed in the use and safety of uh, firearms. I think that's like that's something that we could institute across the country relatively easily. Uh, a lot of our like, for instance, like accidental shootings that children do to each other, which is always unfortunate. Well, that that's easily mitigated by a trigger lock. Yeah, a seven dollar item. There's so much we could do, and there are so many problems that we face as a society. Um, I really think that if we're gonna ever figure this out. Um, we're going to have to stop hating each other, of course, that I've said a hundred times and I'll say a thousand more. Um, but we also need to reevaluate the laws on the books. We need to get rid of laws. We need to reimagine how we could do things uh, based on our, well, our Western culture, because America may be a melting pot, but it's based on Western ideals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll need to, we need to embrace them because these ideas while we're flawed are getting purified more and more about the rights of the individual, what it means to be a human, what it means to be an American, how we should treat each other, the opportunities that we can provide for our children and you know, how we're going to progress. Um, there's so much to say on it. And that's pretty much like my show is topical in nature, much like yours, but that's what I end up talking about all the time because that's what everybody wants. And if everybody wants it, why do we find it so difficult to listen to each other? Yeah. I Sorry. I don't. Oh, boy. That's a, That's a question for the ages, my dude. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. And um, I feel like we're, we've got a long. I would love to keep talking to you, but I feel like we've already reached a oh, point where. incredible. Our listeners are, are likely uh, getting tired of sitting there and listening. Um, oh, a hundred percent. I was. This has gone long. It's just because it's easy. Yeah, and it. I feel like I didn't. Uh, we didn't get a chance to really dive into any of the uh, the harder topics because um, our our con- it's easy for us to talk. Uh, it's easy for us to just move on through conversation, and I really love that. So, um, if you don't mind, I would love to have you on again in the future. Anytime, my dude. Anytime. <laughs> so before we cut this off, um, I will need to ask for anybody who is going through what you're going through, whether that's uh, the manic episode, uh, struggling with bipolar, um, if they're a victim of racism uh, because of their religion, what would you say to those people right now? Well, I think I think in universally, this one thing remains true. Actually, maybe I'll say two things about it. First is, no matter the situation you're in, you cannot control the world. 
You can only control how you respond to it. As well as... There is always hope for the future as long as you keep at it. And that if we keep trying, no matter how hard the situation, no matter you know how perilous the gates, um, like that poem Invictus, mm-hmm. everything's going to work out. Everything's going to get better. That's it. It's really simple. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love that. That's, uh, I think... Even if they're struggling with anything outside of uh, what you're struggling with, that's a good a good viewpoint to have. Also, never compare your life to another person's because that's not fair to you or them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's a bunch of universal truths. Uh, <laughs> philosophy is amazing. Everybody, invest some time in some philosophy. You'll enjoy it or you'll hate yourself in one of the two. <laughs> um, for... The people listening that want to hear more from you, where where can they find you? Well, I'm at Twitter. Um, and my Twitter handle is the Hebrew. Well, I have two. I have the Hebrew Source Rec Show. That's the official uh, show uh, Twitter handle. And then I have Hebrew Saurus RE1. Uh, it's at. I'm also on YouTube. I'm on Spotify. Podhound. Uh, under the Hebrew Source Rex show. Check it out. It's a good time. Yeah. Thank you for coming. It was great talking with you. Yeah, thank you. You know, we've been friends for a while on Twitter. I appreciate your input. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, Twitter friends. Twitter friends for, for uh, a while now. And it's, it's nice to finally uh, connect voice to voice. Maybe one day I'll come on your show and it'll be video. Who knows? <laughs> You'll love it. You'll feel self-conscious the whole time as people stare at you and you talk to a screen. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on. It's been fun as hell.